awesome guy over at our West L.A. church a few weeks ago. His name is Scott, and um, when Scott was 13 years old, his parents left him for a week with his little brother in the house, and they told him, do not go outside. You just stay in the house the whole week. Uh, well, about midweek, the neighborhood friends came knocking, and 13-year-old Scott thought, it's not that big of a deal. We'll just go out and play. So they go out and play, and tragically, Scott's little brother was roller skating and roller skated in front of a truck and was killed. The family put the blame on Scott. And this drove Scott to marijuana and alcohol to numb all the guilt and the pain. And that, as the years went on, turned into harder drugs. And as the years went on, all of a sudden, Scott had a, a, a baby boy that he could not see because of his drug addiction. And so almost a year ago, Scott finds himself now in a middle-aged, you know, time, and he puts himself in rehab because of the drugs. And when his sponsor gets Scott to step three of the 12-step program, step three is turn our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. His sponsor asks Scott, do you understand God? Scott says, no. The sponsor says, well, you should probably understand the God you want to turn your life over to. This hit Scott. So Scott uh, asks another guy in his rehab house about God. And this guy, Andrew, invites Scott to our church in West L.A. And so Scott walks into our church super nervous. First time being in church. He's, he starts in the worship, and he's worshiping God. And all of a sudden, he says, the way he, in his brain, he's like, some energy came over me. And I'm sweating, and I'm feeling absolute forgiveness of all of my guilt, and I'm feeling love all around me. The spirit of Jesus started building his home in Scott. So Scott then gives his life to Jesus and then asks for help and understanding God. And so with Andrew and another brother on the west side in our church, they devoured the teachings of Jesus. And three weeks ago, we were celebrating at his baptism and his nine-year-old son was permitted to go and was beaming with pride for his dad. Come on now. This, this is our God. And if we worship Jesus, then we are ambassadors of Jesus. If we receive the love of Jesus, then we always receive more to give away. Guess what? Now a bunch of guys in Scott's rehab house are hearing about Jesus. He says, I can't stop talking about him. He's changing my life. See, if we believe that Jesus is the king of kings and the leader of leaders, the only one to trust our lives to, then we proclaim and we demonstrate his goodness to others. It's simply a principle of life. Whatever we genuinely worship, we will witness to. If we're in love with another person, everyone around us is going to know that. Can I get an amen? If we love a certain food spot, everyone around us is eventually going to know about that food spot. Whatever we publicly display is an authentic evaluation of what we genuinely love. The call of Jesus is to worship him in such a way that we become his ambassador. The invitation of Jesus is to be his witness, to go into our world and to tell others about him to demonstrate his nearness, his goodness, and his salvation. This is simply an outworking of our worship of him. And if we love him, we love to be with him, and he's always on mission. And if we are on mission with him, then we, like Andrew and Yom, get to say, wow, 
I was a part of Scott's life being saved by God. So let's stand to honor the reading of God's word that is going to center us today and lead us into mission. We are in John chapter 1, verses 10 through 15. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have gathered us today. Thank you that you are with us right now, that your spirit is here in this room, ready to just build your home in our spirit. Lord Jesus, would you help us to hear your word? These words that have been read, they're yours. They're given to us through your spirit that we would know you. Come and remove all apathy and all distraction. That we would be able to hear your word personally to us and then hear your word to us as a community. That we could act on it and get the life that only you have. We love you, Jesus. This is your time. We pray this all in your name and all God's people said. Amen. You can have a seat, church. So these words of our Holy Scripture come right at the beginning of John's Gospel. This first chapter is the prologue. It's the big picture thematic setup for the rest of his Gospel. The words that we just read are like sound bites. They are big picture, kind of wide angle summary points that, that then the rest of his Gospel fills out. So in just six verses, we get so much understanding of who God is who we are, and the state of our world. For two months now, we have been looking at Scripture to understand the mission. What is the mission of Jesus? What's our role in the mission? So how does John chapter 1 help answer those questions? What is the mission of Jesus, and what is our role in that mission? Well, let's walk through this text and answer those questions. Verse 10 and 11. He, Jesus, came into the very world he created... But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. Oh, what pain. Try to put yourselves in the shoes of Jesus. How painful must that be to be rejected by your own children? And we are not talking about children rejecting an abusive and dysfunctional father, right? We are talking about the perfect father. The kind of perfection that we actually cannot comprehend because we've never seen it in any father in our life, even the best of them. This is a father with zero mistakes. He has created his children, raised them in joy and love, generous provision, late night cuddles and bedtime stories, giving them purpose and direction helping them through fears and into courage, always having the right thing to say, always believing in them. And one day, these children turn their backs on him and say, I'm done with you. Oh, what pain. Can you feel that just a little bit? Why? How can, how can children do this to a perfect father? Well, just two chapters later, 
in John chapter 3, Jesus is explaining more of this reality to a man named Nicodemus. And Jesus says this, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Oof, that's a great summary statement of why we rejected the perfect father. People loved the darkness more than the light. Jesus' own people, the people he co-created with the Father and the Spirit, rejected him because they loved the darkness more than light. They chose evil. The mission of Jesus exists because there is so much evil in this world. There are so many people who are loving the darkness more than light. And let's be clear, it's not just the people who are choosing what many of us would define as extreme evil. It's not just the people who are killing and raping and overtly oppressing although they definitely are in the category of loving the darkness more than the light. The biblical evaluation of whether people are in the darkness or in the light starts with their reaction to Jesus. Do they reject Jesus or do they receive Jesus? Many people live what we would call normal lives. They don't break laws, but they reject Jesus. And in that rejection is a choice to love darkness more than light. Then there's another category of people that Jesus speaks of who on the outside receive him, but on the inside actually reject him. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, oh, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will say, I never knew you. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Woo. See, so even those who pray to Jesus, do powerful ministry in the name of Jesus, if they reject his teachings, if they refuse to obey him, they are choosing darkness over light. That makes sense to me. If you, re if you refuse to obey Jesus and how you deal with your money, you are rejecting Jesus. If you refuse to obey Jesus and how you deal with your sexual desires, you are rejecting Jesus. If you refuse to obey Jesus and how you deal with people who are different than you from a racial or ethnic perspective, you are rejecting Jesus. If you refuse to obey Jesus in how you gossip and treat others, if you refuse to forgive those who hurt you, you are rejecting Jesus. And we can just keep going. Jesus is not fooled. His children are those who love him. His children are those who people say, you look just like your father. You act just like your father. Right? His children are reborn into his spirit, so they have this renewed desire to live like him and represent him by their actions and their words, who try and when they fall down and they screw up, they get back up in his grace and just keep desiring to grow and living like him. At the root of people choosing darkness is the autonomous, glorified self. What do we all grow up hearing over and over again? We hear different versions of, you are your own authority. The only authority that you bow to is yourself. You do you. You find your own truth inside of you. You do whatever makes you happy. Don't ever let anyone put limits on what you want to do. 
You create the perfect life for yourself by breaking the mold, doing you, finding the life hacks that work for you. You have to take care of you. You have to find all the aspects of your identity. All the pressure of building your life is on you. See, it's a spectrum. Whether we are arrogantly all about me or whether we are just the burden of life is on me, whatever it is, this is the root of darkness. The definition of darkness is an absence of Jesus. It is a worship or just a consumption with the self. There's a movie in the 1990s that showed the utter destruction, the end of what happens when we worship and are consumed with the self. The movie is called Safe. The movie is a scary prophecy as it seems to be getting more and more relevant as time goes on. It's the story of Carol. Sorry, Carol. We, we know. It's not, it's not this Carol right here. It's the story of Carol, a Southern California housewife who seems to have it all. She has a wealthy husband, huge house, tons of friends. She is healthy, and she's busy doing all the things that she loves. But then one day she has an allergic reaction to something, and then after that she has a panic attack in her car. I've had panic attacks. Ooh, they're brutal. She has another, later, she has another panic attack at a party. And then after that, she begins this quest of trying to fix herself. Okay? She goes to all these doctors and seminars and then convinces herself that the problem is hidden toxins in the air that are attacking her. Invisible things, toxins that are attacking her. Even though the doctors can't find anything wrong with her, she is convinced that she knows best. She is the one in charge of her life. And so uh, she ends up going out to a desert commune to live in a community that declares itself safe from toxins. But even there, eventually she can't feel safe. And then she wants to live in a completely sealed igloo-like structure. In the movie's final scene, Carol says goodbye to her husband and son and retreats into the sealed igloo And now utterly isolated from the world, she stands in front of her mirror and repeats the phrase, I love you, I love you, I love you. This is a horrible picture of darkness. I haven't even seen the movie. I just read the summary and I have chills. Did you not feel chills when I told you the summary? You don't even have to see the movie. I don't even want to see the movie. That ending scene would disturb me for weeks, right? Carol is experiencing panic attacks. She's confronted with spiritual poverty, but she doesn't see that that is the root, that she has rejected her creator. She's unwilling to see that root and focuses purely on her body, her physical and emotional comforts, on being her own God, and it leads her to utter darkness, Why, church, are we invited to partner with Jesus on the mission? Because people are dying inside all around us. And eventually we'll be in a horrible condition. We are to help people see their spiritual poverty. Sin is what the Bible calls it. To see their darkness, their love to be their own God and help them into humility, into repentance, into receiving the love of Jesus so they can be reborn 
as verse 13 says, reborn into the spirit of a good and loving and relational God, reborn into the freedom of being able to surrender to God into a worship of Jesus instead of themselves, reborn into joy and hope and perseverance in this tough life. And here's the key. We can't lead people into a humility that we do not live in. We are not to posture ourselves as the judges of humanity. We are not to get to the 30,000 foot level, see all the evil, see all the people who are rejected in Jesus and worshiping the self and say, y'all are going to hell. No, we are to follow the model of Jesus and represent Jesus. What does the scripture say? Right after we are told that everybody rejects Jesus, verse 14 says, so the word, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. Can I get an amen? He was full of grace and truth is what the scripture says. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus lived at that 30,000 foot level. And he lived large, y'all. But when he saw the pain we were causing ourselves and the rejection of him, he chose to come all the way down and to make his home among us, to save, to heal us, to restore us, help us re, re, be rebirthed in his spirit. He built his home and he loved people who were in the darkness. He loved them in such a profound way to win them into a worship of him. That's my testimony. I was won over by the love of Jesus after being consumed by myself. The few times he got angry were mostly with church people, people who lost their humility and just judged the world. But think about the power of that verse, that Jesus built his home among us in our mess, and he continues to build his home among us through his church. It means that every resource he has, he shares with us. Every aspect of who he is, he shares with us. It's the beautiful picture of a passion to be as close as possible to us in our pain. For Jesus to build his home among us means that God wants to transform every part of our world. See, what is the heart of the prayer he taught us? Oh God, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in your heaven. Move in, God. And build your heaven right here in our broken world. Build, bring light that can overpower our darkness. Do you see the connection with your personal life and the mission of God? Jesus has come to save you from the darkness, to remake you in his spirit, so that you can then represent him in this world to push back against the self-focused, self-obsessed, prideful, greedy, arrogant, and cruel spirit that is destroying people. Verse 14 says, he was full of grace and truth, and we've seen his glory. We have seen his glory. We see the climax of his glory as he is nailed to a cross, bleeding and suffocating to death, dying to forgive people who reject him, dying to make a way for the perfect spirit of God to make his home inside of our broken spirits so that we can be reborn. His glory is seen in the most radical sacrifice of himself, to heal and love those who reject him. Do you see how beautiful God is? The world is consumed with self. Our God is consumed with sacrificing himself for others. The darkness is defined by a worship of self. The darkness is defined by a consumption of self. The self's needs are always first. 
So any kindness to others is going to come after the self has all of their needs met. In the darkness, people talk about loving others, but their actions are all about me and mine. I'm going to blast something out to change the world for justice, but I'm not going to have any accountability over me. The light is defined by a worship of Jesus, a worship of the most extreme model of self-sacrificial love. There's a rebirth into a life purpose of sacrificing my comforts, my control, my ability to consume more money and stuff in order to love others with the sacrificial love of Jesus out of the dark and into the light. The spirit of darkness is all about getting what I want no matter what is happening to everyone else. The spirit of Jesus is about doing all that I can to help people live the kind of life I want to live. It's loving my neighbor as I love myself. People reborn into Jesus are repurposed. All who are reborn become active builders of Jesus' home in this dark world. So whatever your career Wherever you live, wherever you shop, whatever your family situation, you are a builder of the home of Jesus, helping all who are willing to receive Jesus and surrender their lives to him. So those who run their own business, you're as much of a pastor and missionary as pastors of the church and missionaries in other countries. Those that teach, those that drive trucks, those that work in nonprofits, in corporate jobs, in restaurants, cleaning homes, in all the places that we are, we look to build the home of Jesus for all to see his goodness and salvation as we sacrificially love. We who are reborn, we build the home of Jesus in every system of our society. We push back against the darkness that corrupts our political systems, our economic systems, our educational systems. We push back against the false prophets who are saturating people with wrong values. And through our sacrificial actions, we open up our mouths and speak about the greatness of Jesus. Some of us have heard that phrase, preach the gospel always, and when you have to, use words. It's a cool-sounding phrase. It's meant to correct the error of preaching without actions. Preaching a gospel but not feeding the hungry. Preaching about Jesus but not changing the corrupt systems of injustice. It's a phrase that challenges the hypocrisy of those that just talk. But that phrase is not from the Bible. There is an overwhelming amount of teaching that we must speak words about Jesus and live like Jesus. <laughs> we must open up our mouths and absorb the hate from those in the darkness. It is why Jesus is called the Word. He makes God known, clear, understandable with words. Nobody is ever fuzzy about the truth and grace of God when you're around Jesus. We will not ever get to celebrate more with brothers like Scott unless we open up our mouths to the people that are around us and tell them who it is that has reborn us into his spirit. And I know it's hard. I mean, it's hard for me all the time. I know we have to deal with the stereotypes, with the people on the street corners, with their mics just yelling at people, telling them they're going to go to hell with great judgments and arrogance. But when you are reborn, when you're in the spirit of Jesus, you talk about him in grace and in truth. You show his awesome power and grace in your life. People want to hear because they see something different. Oh, they'll always be the haters. But you will stand out. I gave you a picture of someone consumed with themselves in the story of Carol. So I want to end with the story of Mabel. Not a movie, but an actual person 
who represents the authentic Jesus in our world, the real deal. I'm going to have the worship team come up as I start this story. Our, our, student, our folks that just graduated D school will remember this story about Mabel. Uh, a pastor that I really respect uh, used to be in the Chicago area, and he started visiting a state-run convalescent hospital, and it was not a pleasant place. It's a large, it's understaffed, it's overfilled with sort of senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On Mother's Day, he brought in some flowers, and he's walking down this long hallway, and as he nears the end of this hallway, he sees an old woman strapped to a wheelchair. It was very difficult to look at her because one side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side. It had dropped the uh, one eye. It distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. And so as a consequence, she drooled constantly. She was also blind. She had a large hearing aid over one ear, and she was almost deaf. The pastor later learned that when new nurses arrived at this uh, home, the supervisor would send them first to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand the sight of this woman and care for her, then they would be able to handle the difficulties of this home. This woman was the test case. Um, he also learned that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been there bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. Her name was Mabel. He put a flower in her hand and he said, here's a flower for you, happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and she tried to smell it and then she said, thank you, it's lovely, but can I give it to someone else? I can't see, you know, I'm blind. He said, of course. And he pushed her in her chair at her request back down the hallway. They found another woman in a chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. Her words shocked the pastor. And he realized that this was not an ordinary human being. So he started asking questions to learn more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital as there was no family. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches and backaches and stomach aches, and then the cancer came. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays, the stench was just overpowering. The pastor started seeing and talking with her every week. Some days, he would read to her from the Bible, and often when he would pause, she would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. On other days, he would sing worship songs with her. She knew all the words to heart of all the songs that he sang. She would often stop in the middle of the song and make brief comments about the lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. The pastor saw her sharing about Jesus and caring for people in her limited state. The pastor never heard her speak of her loneliness or pain except in the emphasis she would place on certain lines and certain songs. The pastor grew more and more in wonder and wanted to spend more time with her and it became where she was his pastor as he learned about Jesus through her, and he began writing down all the things that she would say. And during one stressful week for the pastor, when his mind was just full of so many things, he was so stressed, and he, he realized in his office, 
He goes, what does Mabel have to think about? I mean, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, she, she doesn't even know whether it's day or night. She's just sitting there. What does she think about? So he went to her and asked, he goes, Mabel, what do you think about when you sit here and lay here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. The pastor sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty of, for him of just thinking about Jesus straight for five minutes. And then he asked, well, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately, and he wrote it all down. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old song, an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Oh, you see, Mabel has found the light. There is nothing of this dark world that can keep her from her Jesus. She is richer than Floyd Mayweather. She is richer than Elon Musk. She has the treasure, and everybody around her knows it. She brings educated pastors to their knees. Twice in the opening prologue of the Gospel of John, twice after the big picture truths about Jesus and this world, right, we get a snapshot of just one man, the first ambassador of Jesus, the first one to say yes to the mission of glorifying Jesus in this world, John the Baptist. And it flows, doesn't it? Jesus has made his home among us. We have seen his glory. So John testified about Jesus when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am. That is our message. Yes, you and I are special. Yes, you and I are unique. But you and I are also broken. And praise God, there is someone greater than us. Someone greater in his name is Jesus. He saves and he heals and he forgives and he restores every day. He lives with you even in your greatest pain. He sits with you in your darkest moments. He brings the light and his light overcomes all your darkness. He brings the light and his home is the home you want to live in. He is the one who can rescue you from your slow destruction into the darkness of self. There is someone greater. Worship him even when people want to hate you for it. Worship the greater. Know Jesus. Let's stand. Let's worship this great Jesus. Oh, that we would know the Jesus that Mabel knows. That no amount of suffering can take him away. That we would know the Jesus that is so easy to speak of because it's so real. It is not a project. It is not out of guilt. It is not out of duty. 
that's speaking of our Jesus comes out of a delight and a passion and a love and a connection of intimacy. As we worship, ask the Lord to fill your heart again with the love of Jesus, that it would just overflow a greater love than any time you've ever been in love with any human being, a greater love than any kind of amount of money has ever brought you. Come, Lord Jesus. And as we worship, if you would like prayer to just ask for the Spirit of God to rekindle that love for Jesus, just come to the front and worship God right up here. And somebody will come by and pray for you as you worship God to the front. This is our time to respond to Jesus in worship.